Hi, everybody. My name is Pat Hogarty, and welcome back to California Real Estate Principles, Real Estate 300. This happens to be show number 16. According to my course outline, we should be talking about the information that's contained in the chapter on escrows and title insurance. That's what we're going to be discussing tonight. Uh, when we talk about this particular chapter, we break them down like a lot of the chapters are into two different sections. Escrow. Escrow in reality, when we discuss that, is going to be talking about where we go out and we hire or have somebody that's an independent third party who is going to take and hold on to the money, hold on to all the documents, collect the documents, and not do anything unless it gets instructions from all the parties that are involved. That typically is usually a buyer and a seller. So we'll be talking more about that. Uh, the other part of this chapter is title insurance. And title insurance is something where when you buy your home, one of the things that you want to make sure of is that the person that is selling you the home has the right to sell it. And so consequently, one of the things we can do is have a title report or what we sometimes refer to as a preliminary title report or a preliminary report that will show things like who owns the property, what loans they have against the property, what kinds of liens, are there mechanics liens, judgments, anything along that line. So we're going to be talking about those two topics tonight. I'm going to first start out with some form of a definition and then kind of maybe emphasize that a little bit, tell you when we have to have escrows, and then we'll move on from there. And, of course, as usual, I'll be moving back and forth between my old friendly document camera here and the plasma screen for the students that are in the class. Anyway, to start out with, what we need to do is have an understanding of what this is really talking about when we talk about an escrow. And, again, I'm going to read this and to more or less reemphasize this. It says, an escrow is created when a separate written agreement instructs a neutral third party to hold funds and only proceed when all the agreed conditions have been performed. So when you really think about this, what's probably the most critical thing is, is that when you're buying something like real estate and you are spending $100,000, $400,000 to buy a piece of property, you're giving your hard-earned money to this person. <laughs> What you want to do is you just don't want to give it to them and have them sign a document. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. You don't even know if they're the one that really owns the property. What you want to do is you want to have some independent person who is going to sit there and say, I will hold on to that check. I will look at the instructions. I am not going to go any further and distribute any funds. I'm not going to do anything unless everybody, both the buyer and the seller, and in many cases, the buyer, the seller, and the lender all tell me and all agree to what needs to be done. And that's the only way that I'm going to go ahead and finish up this escrow or proceed. And when you think about that, now that's a fairly safe way that we can do business. We don't have to worry about it. We have this independent licensed person that's handling this stuff. Uh, moving on from there, it says, um, in California, an escrow is usually a requirement for the sale of a home or any other real estate. Although it is not all, always required by law, it is indispensable process by which an independent third party handles the legal paperwork of all the real estate sale. An escrow is not only an effective tool for handling normal and real estate transactions like the sales or refinancing, but is also for the sale of trustees, 
exchanges, and transfer of liquor, liquor licenses, business securities, and court-ordered transfers. The legal, uh, the le- legal, legally required and recommended uses of an escrow are illustrated, and then we'll talk about that in a minute. So the point here is, is I'm hoping that this all makes perfect sense to everybody in the sense that what we need to do is remember that uh, we would not want to transfer money from one person to the other or transfer or give people our money unless we made sure those conditions are met. Now, uh, what I talked about previously or in the past is one of the things where this process gets started, where it initially gets started, like on the purchase of property, is when you have an agreed-upon offer. In other words, you've, had, you've negotiated back and forth, you made an offer, the seller made a counteroffer, maybe you made a counteroffer, you went back and forth constantly, and finally what ended up happening is that you had an agreement, and the seller finally agreed to the conditions. If you remember from the contract that I showed you, that is called a residential purchase offer and joint escrow instructions. Some people will say, well, what happens to that document? What happens is that gets forwarded to the escrow officer. The escrow officer uses that as a list, if you will, like a laundry list or a shopping list. You know, for those of us that, like myself, that do a lot of shopping for the family. In other words, we're looking at it, and once all of those things that are in that contract are fulfilled, okay, and we have an agreement of all the parties, then and only then can we actually start taking money and exchanging money and exchanging documents. Now, there are times, as they alluded to, in which you know, you, you, things are required, in other words, highly recommended. For example, if I decided that I just wanted to sell my house to my son and I, you know, I wasn't going to have any other person involved, I wasn't going to have, uh, you know, I wasn't going to get a loan, in other words, I was going to sell it to him, I was going to carry the financing, he was going to make payments to me, I could do the whole thing. I could do the whole thing. I could record my documents if I wanted to. I could do the whole thing, and I don't have to go to a title company. I don't have to purchase title insurance. There's not a requirement for that. In fact, many times you will see where people will exchange properties between fathers and son or, or you know, kids or whatever, and they're, in, and they're not going through an escrow to do that. You know, okay, so it's only when all of a sudden we start bringing in somebody else such as a company that wants to lend us money, and they say, hey, now you need to have an escrow. We're not going to lend you money. But if it's between parties that know each other, it's not necessarily required. Okay? Uh, Where it's highly recommended, notice it says highly recommended, is on the sales of real property. So highly recommended means, for example, like if I am selling my property between myself and my son, maybe it might be a good idea for me to get an attorney or get an, an escrow company or somebody to handle the paperwork so that I make sure it's done correctly. Otherwise, a year, two years, five years, ten years later, I find out that I did something and, you know, and I've got a problem now. I've got to clear up. Loans is another one. But could I make a loan to some individual without having an escrow? Yes, I could. I could take any student that's in my class and say, I want to lend you, you know, $10,000 and have a loan against your property and have you sign a note and have you sign a deed of trust and get it notarized and go down and record it and still not do an escrow. So I could do that. But again, I, you know, the person that I'm doing, I'm, you know, that I'm lending the money to, I don't really know unless I know them really well whether or not they, you know, the property has a clear title and if they really own the property or if they have liens or judgments or anything like that. The other thing is an exchange. 
An exchange is when uh, you'll see people that will do an exchange, and typically we call these tax-deferred exchanges or tax exchanges. And the concept behind this is that there's an IRS code, an Internal Revenue Service code, code called 1031. It's been around forever. And initially what the idea is is that uh, the Internal Revenue Service, who gets their orders, by the way, from Congress, okay, because that's who makes things law, had said, you know what, if you take and just want to exchange your property, like use your property as a down payment on another house, okay, and since you're not taking the money out of the real estate business, you're continuing to have it in there, you don't have to pay any taxes on it right now. It's called tax deferred, not tax get out of paying taxes, tax deferred. Now, when you do that, there are certain internal revenue service laws that you have to follow perfectly. You have to follow the rules exactly. If you violate any of those rules, you can put yourself in a situation where all of a sudden the whole event that you just did now becomes taxable in that year. And not to scare anybody, but it's a fairly intricate situation that you want to, people want, you want to follow the rules exactly. In fact, there are people that just specialize in doing this tax-deferred exchange. And you may say, where would I ever run into this? It's not uncommon, for example, for a lot of us maybe to own property, and we even never even had an intention of owning it. Maybe we wanted to move out of town. We wanted to sell our house, couldn't sell it, situation like we have now. Uh, we finally decide to hold on to the house. Years go by, and the next thing you know, we find out that we accidentally became a landlord. And maybe we're getting close to retiring, and we want to turn around, and we want to sell that property, and we sit down with our accountant, and the accountant go ahead, goes ahead and it calculates the gain, and we find out we're going to have a great big tax bill. And maybe at that point in time, you'll say, you know, I don't mind the real estate business. I do want an income. Well, maybe what we need to do is find some way to exchange this property into another property. Okay, maybe something that's a little bit closer to home, maybe something that's a little bit easier to take care of. Like, for example, maybe this is a single-family home. And I've got to hire a gardener and somebody to clean the pool and somebody to take care of the hot tub. And maybe what I need to do is just kind of maybe exchange that or sell that and then move on to something like a condominium or a townhouse that I don't have to have deal with that kind of stuff. And the idea behind the exchange there is, you know, when you look at it, a lot of times you think that, oh, I have to find somebody that wants to buy my property and I want to buy theirs. Well, yeah. Or we can do what we call a delayed exchange, which is, again, covered under the IRS code. Essentially what that is, when I follow the rules and the law, which I have to follow exactly, is where I actually take and put my house up for sale. And this is a simplistic explanation, by the way. But I put my house up for sale. I sell the house, but the proceeds don't come to me. They go into like a trust account. And then what I do is I identify during a certain specific period of time that's governed by, you know, the IRS rules that I have to identify another property that that money is going to go into. Okay? And then I have to complete this exchange within this specific period of time. And if I do, then I can defer those income taxes. It's a way for me to get the full use of all my money. Okay, so in that case, normally you would have an exchange that would take care of that. You would use an escrow officer. When are you required by law to have one? If you have a liquor license transfer. Remember, you have liquor licenses. Typically, those licenses can be usually associated with the sale of a business, such as a liquor store, a, 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 a store that sells beer, wine, whatever, or you're talking about buying an establishment like a restaurant or a bar that serves liquor, that's what we're talking about. 
sales of security, impound accounts, same thing, sales of security, any kind of real estate securities. And finally, court order transfers or probate sales, okay? You have to have an escrow, okay? So those are the rules in which you have to have one. Um, after that, they go down here and they give you some requirements. So what's the requirements of a valid, valid meaning good, works with law type of an escrow? Number one, there's three requirements. Number one, you have to have a signed escrow instructions forming a binding contract between two or more parties. They are usually the buyer and the seller in most cases. Okay, Although we can have where maybe we're refinancing a house or we're getting an equity line of credit. If we're in that situation, what's going to happen is that the lender is going to require an escrow and they're going to require title insurance. And the reason why is what the lender does not want to have happen is to find out, for example, oh, they're just going to give me $100,000 because I'm going to refinance it or $100,000 because I'm going to just borrow and get some equity, and then I leave, only to find out I'm not the one that even owns the property. Is that possible? Yes. Has it ever happened? Many times. Okay. In fact, there was an article, I think it was even on TV recently, where, um, uh, and I believe it was in the Sacramento B2, where somebody not selling but was renting and had rented a place to like three or four different people. I think it was in the Sacramento area. And so you can find that people will take advantage of that. There have been people that will have actually, uh, for example, um, historically or in the past, what they've done is they've watched houses and noticed you know, that maybe the Joneses are leaving town for a while or found out. And what they'll do is they'll turn around and, you know, put a sign out there, house for sale. You know, maybe the people are going out of the country for a couple months. Put a sign out there for sale, hold an open house, make the house so it's attractive to buy. You know, like maybe it's a lot, you know, worth you know, a lot less. I'm going to say it. it's well under the market value. And they get offers. Anybody's crazy not to make an offer on it. They take the money and then they disappear. Okay. So the idea is that when you make your offer, and you write your check out that that money is put into a trust account, either by the broker or by uh, an escrow officer, until all of the conditions are met, then it gets transferred, okay, which makes sense. And is, has that ever happened? Yes. Okay, so you need to have this agreement. And this always starts, at least in residential property, with the accepted purchase offer, if you will, for the lack of anything else. Sometimes we refer to that as a deposit receipt. Uh, that's what starts because we have all the parties signing this agreement and agreeing that this is what we're going to do. You know, the wholesale is contingent on you doing all this stuff, and the escrow officer is going to make sure you meet all those requirements. Second thing, a neutral party, which is the escrow company, act as a dual agent for both the buyer and the seller. So when we say dual agency, what it means is that they don't favor the buyer or the seller. It doesn't make any difference. Their job is to make sure that the bushes of both parties are carried out. The other thing, too, is that they cannot do, make something happen. Like if you have an escrow, you cannot call the escrow officer up and say, Can, give me my deposit back or give me my check or anything like that. Okay, They have to have instructions from both sides, Okay, both sides. And if both sides can't agree, which this chapter talks about, eventually you may have to go to court to have the judge decide what to do. But anyway, no matter what, they cannot. you cannot call them up and say, give me my money back. Okay, they have to take, they represent the buyer and the seller together. The last thing is that they talk about here is a conditional delivery of funds and documents when all the conditions in the escrow are met. If you remember when we talked about these deposit receipts or these purchase offers, they are nothing more than an offer based on a set of conditions. 
those sets of conditions to number many of them would be, for example, a clear title report, a clear termite report, uh, maybe the fact that a home inspection has been completed, maybe that some work has been done, that a pool inspection has been taken care of, that subject to the fact that the homeowner has actually disclosed things like the buyer maybe has time to read the covenants, conditions, and restrictions, the homeowner's association bylaws, uh, that the buyer has had time, sufficient amount of time to get a loan. You know, that's a, a contingency. You know, like the buyer may have five or seven days to get a loan or, or approval letter that they are going to get the financing. Uh, and I can go on and on and on. I mean, it could be things such as an agreement that the seller is going to stay in the house for a little while or the buyer is going to move in earlier. Uh, all kinds of conditions. Those conditions all have to be met and signed off before the monies can be transferred. Okay. Um, down below here, they talk about an escrow officer. Okay, and uh, again, an escrow officer can be a corporation, it can be an attorney, it can be a real estate broker who is acting as a real estate agent in the transaction. Okay, and where would you probably see that? Maybe if you're dealing in a very teensy weensy small little town, and it may be difficult for people to actually get there and do stuff. You may find out that that might be a situation where they do it. used to be at one time there were a number of companies in this town that used to have escrow departments. The, a lot of those companies now, that I, that even if I name them off, have been absorbed and bought by other companies. And at one time, though, they, uh, some of the larger companies provided escrow services. Uh, some of them had uh, actually independent portions of their business that were escrow. I mean, I'm thinking about companies that you probably have never heard of that were really well-known in the Sacramento community, like Kiernan Realtors, Jones, Brandon, Holland. I mean, these are companies that were around for years and years and years and that had escrow people that took care of things. And subsequent to that, they've been bought, like Jones, Brandon, Holland was bought by Cowell Banker. Kiernan got absorbed into somebody I'm not exactly sure who. Uh, so there were a lot of different companies that used to provide this service. In fact, Kiernan was about the only company in town that had somebody there that would actually do business escrows, okay, between, when you sold the business. Uh, so anyway, they were there, but over the years they've, uh, over the years they've been kind of, that's been taken over by most of the time the escrow companies are doing most of the work now. Okay, so. Um, what are some of the things uh, that you need when you're doing an escrow? Uh, I've said this so many times. I'll just, uh, when I say that, sometimes I forget between classes. But anyway, the easiest way I can do is say this is you have the accepted offer. You as the real estate agent, if you happen to be the real estate agent, depending upon who in your county does this. Now, in each county or each area, you may have a custom a custom, not a law, not a rule, anything, but a custom in which maybe in one county you may have the person that is the listing broker opens the escrow. Okay, You may have in another county where the person that's handling the buyer opens the escrow. That's customary. It has nothing to do with what's rules or laws. It's just whatever's customary. But typically what ends up happening is after that offer is accepted, if it's a sale of a house or sale of anything else, usually that day, if not the next day, the real estate agent contacts the escrow officer and opens up what we call an order. That's the term we use. They open an order, okay, an escrow order. The escrow officer assigns it a number, 
and the agent either faxes in or brings in the necessary information such as the as the deposit receipt the contract that was signed as soon as they get off the telephone and they've opened the order what happens is is that that escrow officer then calls their title department which is usually uh, sometimes referred to as the title plant but it's a title it's a title officer and they do something where they call order a preliminary report, a preliminary title report or a preliminary report. And so that's the first thing that happens here is this after the escrow is open, as the preliminary report is opened up, uh, what happens is, is that the title officer then takes things such as the address of the property, starts collecting information like the assessor's parcel number, starts going back and pulling copies and looking for things like, you know, who owns the property, looking for grant deeds, deeds of trust. They're looking nowadays Nowadays, they're doing everything pretty much by computer. It used to be in the past, like when I was in the title business, we actually had handwritten records. I mean, all the way back to the Spanish land grants, we had all these records. We called it a title plant. We had these books. We had microfiche. We had computer. In fact, it was before we even had, really, the use of computers, uh, the way that we understand them today. This was like back in the 70s and the 80s. Um, so anyway, everything was pretty much done by hand. And then what ended up happening is that after this report was done in the search, it was forwarded to a department. And the company I worked for at the time, we happened to have something that was kind of like a main computer where we had typists that would just sit there and type these reports out and then pump the reports out. Okay. Um, but anyway, they ordered this preliminary report. That comes out, typically it'll come out anywhere between 24 and 72 hours after the order is opened. The people that get that are, I'm saying typically. Now keep in mind that depends upon how difficult the search is. If it's something that the property has sold recently, it's not something where the legal description of the last time it was sold was back in the 1800s. I mean, if it's fairly current or it's been refinanced or something like that, they usually can find it fairly easily. But they'll go back and pull this report. They'll create the report. They'll look through all kinds of documents, make sure that uh, they get all the loans, they get all their easements, the rights of way, everything that's a matter of record. They're going to look for any judgments against the individual that may affect, because remember, you can have a judgment that's going to affect the real property. So they'll look for a lot of different things, everything that will affect the property, and they'll report that. They'll report the status on the property taxes, if they're due or they're, or they're not paid current, they'll report all of that stuff. That ends up in this preliminary report that gets sent to no less than one copy at least goes to the escrow officer. One copy goes to the broker that's helping the buyer. One goes to the broker that has the listing. And normally a copy goes to the seller and a copy goes to the buyer. This is normally a contingency in the contract in which the buyer has a specific period of time to read that report, see if there's any problems they have with that report, and if they agree to it, they should sign off and clear that contingency. Say, I've read the report, it's good. If there's a problem with the report, then, there needs to, then the agent needs to get back with them and, and figure out what needs to be resolved. And uh, some of the things that will show up on that report that people never know about are things like... Uh, you know, like they may find out that there was a, a loan that they know they paid off, but there was never a deed of reconveyance, okay? Or maybe there was a lien or a judgment that was on the property they thought was taken care of, and all of a sudden it, it pops up because 
They paid it off, but there was no paperwork to clear it off of the property. So those kinds of things. So that's why it's so critical that you get that report right away and look at it and see if there's a problem. And if there is, get it taken care of. Very, very important. The next thing is is that the um, during this process, the lenders demand. We call out a demand. What that is is that when we contact the existing lenders and we say, excuse me, could you please send me some paperwork that shows me how much, you know, Pat Hogarty owes on this property and, uh, you know, how much he owes and what the conditions are of the payoff. That's called the demand, a lender's demand. You send, the escrow officer sends that to the lender. The lender gets that. The lender should come back and say, this is how much Pat owes as of this date. These are what the payments are. If there's any kind of penalties, like a prepayment penalty of any sort, like if there was an equity line of credit, any of that stuff should be brought up so that the escrow officer knows how to handle that. Okay. Again, that's why it's important that when you are opening up an escrow or you're actually at the initial listing of the property, if you're a really good real estate agent, you're going to start collecting that information so, or at least get the client so that they have it available so that they're able to give it to the escrow officer right away Okay, and get that process started. Uh, one of the things I have seen is where people, for example, don't know that they had a prepayment penalty on a, pro- on a loan, especially on equity lines of credit. Because the way the equity line of credit goes, you'll see them when they advertise them. They'll say, hey, no fees, no points, no this, no that, real cheap, get some money, pay off your car, it's tax deductible. If you read the real fine print, there is no free lunch. What they're basically going to do is they're going to say, you know what, we expect you to keep this loan in place for, say, three years or five years, some period of time. And, you know, and it'd be nice if you were making payments on it because that's how we're going to recoup our costs. If you pay it off earlier, like you get an equity line of credit this year and turn around and sell the house next year, they're probably going to sit there and say to you, listen, uh, we need some fees back. Okay, so that's why it's important that you know about that. Uh, you'll go back to the new lender who's coming from the buyer's side, and you're going to request uh, the, any new loan documents. What that essentially means is that the new lender uh, who's going to be coming in, that's going to be the buyer, you know, who the buyer's getting their loan from, is going to have documents that they want the buyer to sign, things like notes, deeds of trust, all kinds of stuff. So you're going to ask for those documents. You're going to complete any conditions uh, and depositing of funds, meaning that, you, you know, the escrow officer is going to look back there and say, oh, by the way, I never got anything that said the termite work was done or that the reinspection, termite reinspection was done or I didn't get something on the appraisal or whatever, the, whatever it is, they're going down and seeing if there's something missing. They're also looking for depositing of funds. Now, that could be in several different ways. It might mean that there was an agreement in the contract that after, say, so many days or so many, for example, it's not uncommon for real estate agents to say, you know, we'll take the initial deposit of, you know, $5,000 or $10,000 on this house, and we'll agree to hold, you know, do that. But as soon as you review the title report or you get, uh, for example, the appraisal done, then we want you, whatever condition it is that you wanted to meet, we want you to increase your deposit by another 3000 or 4000 It's not uncommon to do that. Another thing that may happen is that you may be having money coming in from the sale of another property. So <clears throat> what's going to end up happening is that, you know, the property is going to close in Los Angeles, you know, today. You're going to record two days from today or, you know, three days from today. And what has to happen is that money has to get from, from the close of escrow down here to the one up here. 
And I will tell you one thing, and that is, is the fact that that money needs to be wired transferred. Any escrow officer will tell you that they don't, banks don't like even, don't want personal checks at all. Okay, forget personal checks. Cashier's checks, the banks will still hold on to, and maybe, you know, for days and won't clear them. The thing you want to do is have the money wired, wired from one account to the other. That's acceptable, and then that way you can close the transaction. That's, those are the details you want to make sure that they're apply, that the escrow officer knows about. Uh, anyway, adjustments and prorations. Adjustments may be, for example, uh, you know, we're going to credit the buyer for uh, uh, maybe, for example, uh, some work needs to be done on the place. And uh, maybe something needed to be painted, like the outside of the house. And the buyer said, you know what? Yeah, it needs to be painted, but I haven't figured out what color I want to paint it. So why don't we do this? Why don't you just credit me a certain amount of money in escrow, and I'll take care of that later on. Okay? Um, it could be anything along that line where you're getting some kind of credit for something being fixed or whatever. Anything that's going to be some money adjustments coming back. Prorations, on the other hand, would be things like, for example, interest on loans, uh, taxes, where maybe there's been a payment of, for example, the taxes have been paid, and now there has to be an adjustment between the buyer and the seller. The seller should be getting back some of the tax money, and the buyer should be paying some because, you know, they're paying for the time that, the, that they're living there. Uh, it could be fire insurance. It could be uh, it could be um, homeowners association dues could be any kind of prorations at all okay if it happens to be the sale of a commercial building or apartment it may be the prorations of the rents or the adjustments on the rents you know hey you're you're taking possession of the property on the 15th but the people that lived here paid me the rent on the first (laughs) so i get half the rent this month's rent and you get the other half of this month's rent so it could be adjustments like that uh Transfer of any existing fire policies or creation of new ones. Fire policies are something that can really, in some cases, be a hitch if you don't check about them earlier. What you really want to do is tell the buyer, say to the buyer, you need today, (laughs) the minute that you decide that you want to buy this house, you need to be talking to your insurance agent. You need to find out whether or not your insurance agent can insure this property. And you may say, that's stupid. Why would they, you know, why, why would that ever come up? I will tell you that there are certain companies that, for whatever reason, for their risks, they will not insure certain kinds of properties. As an example, I don't know whether this is still true, but a number of years ago, I decided that I wanted to have AAA, which is a car company I use for car insurance, insure a home that I had in El Dorado County. They came back and they said, no, we won't do it. And the reason why is if you know anything about AAA, they're really, really a conservative company. And what they didn't want to do is because a lot of times in El Dorado County, you have a lot of property or a lot of trees around properties. You have a lot of shake roof. They're more susceptible to fires. They just say, I'm not going to deal with that. I won't insure that. Well, you need to know that as in, uh, your, your, your clients need to know that so that they have enough time to maybe shop for another insurance company that does that kind of stuff or is familiar with that kind of uh, uh, risk, if you will. Okay, you find, And you also, too, will find that certain, certain companies don't want to tell you no, but they'll charge you a lot more money. I've seen that not with house insurance, but I've seen it with motorcycle insurance or airplane insurance where you go, 
You go with one company, you check with the other company, you find they're half. Well, what it is is they really don't want to be in that pot kind of business, but they offer that as a service. And you go, I, the better service would be just tell me, no, here's a good company that does it. Okay? But anyway, transferring the policies or getting new ones, you want to know about that. And there can be a lot of different, they say fire policies here, but remember that we may have other kinds of insurance, such as flood insurance. Uh, there's earthquake insurance. There's a lot of other insurance besides just fire insurance. And plus, fire insurance is just the basics. That's what the lender's concerned about. There's usually most people have what we call homeowner's insurance that'll cover things like if the mailman slips outside the door or the kids throw a rock through the neighbor's window, stuff like that. Uh, then the next thing is, is they're going to record the documents. After everything is signed off and it's agreed, they're going to record, which means they're going to go down on the day that the property is going to be recorded. The title company, by the way, will do one more check. The day it records, they're going to look and see if anything came overnight. Is there anything that popped up they didn't know about? In fact, that's a lot of times why as a real, a real estate agent will kind of maybe caution their clients and say, now be aware of the fact that we don't want something showing up on the property the last minute, you know. So what we want to do is, you know, and it could be things like a judgment or, or a lien or something else that all of a sudden pops up you didn't know anything about because that can stop everything. It will stop it dead. But the title company usually the day will go ahead and check and see if there's anything that has been recorded. And then what they'll do is they'll record the grant deed, they'll record the deed of trust, and any other associated documents that need to be recorded. Once that recording takes place, and normally most companies will usually have like a morning recording and an afternoon recording, depending upon where you're located. And uh, once it's recorded, they contact the escrow officer. They call back and say, hey, the deal's recorded. And then the escrow officer then can do things like dispersing funds. Uh, maybe you can go by the office after they know that it's been recorded and get your check, you know, for your equity line of credit. Or you can get the garage door opener to turn around and, you know, get the, you know, open the garage and go get the pizzas and celebrate your new house, whatever it happens to be. Okay? Uh, and then they'll also issue the policy of title insurance. They'll disperse the funds to whoever it goes to. And then there's an escrow statement sent to each party. Also, there's a HUD-1 statement that's sent out, which just basically shows where all the money went. You know, that comes from the lender, you know, where all the money was spent you know, on the property, okay? So that gives you a general overview of how that works, okay? One of the things that they point out here that I think is probably important is for you to realize that there is a difference in California. And by the way, some states don't, don't have, let's say, escrow officers. They have attorneys that do this work, Okay. Um, and it doesn't mean necessarily, I mean, you could also have the lender might have an internal escrow department that does this work, okay? But if we start talking about companies like First American Title, Financial Title, Chicago Title, Stewart Title, typically we're going to those title companies when we're usually buying and selling a house, buying and selling a building or property, or we're doing some kind of a refinance, usually with uh, you know, a, a lender of some sort, you know, like an institutional lender such as a bank or, you know, a mutual savings bank or credit union or anybody like that. Now, there is a difference between who does what, whether it's northern or southern California. And everybody always asks me where this line is. I don't know. I could say Bakersfield. I'm not really sure exactly where it is. But bo bottom line is this, is that in, nor in southern California, Okay, in southern, in fact, it says, I'll just say here, 
when and where is signed escrow instructions? Customarily in Southern California. Oh, this is, uh, who, let's do it this way. Who performs the escrow services in Southern California are traditionally performed by an independent escrow company. Okay, in other words, like Pat Hogarty's escrow company, ABC escrow company. In other words, what they do is they have an escrow company, and then that escrow company is not, let's say, affiliated with the title company. They're two separate independent entities. So you have an escrow company and you have a title company. And typically, those escrow companies will do other things besides the sale of just residential and commercial properties. They may do the sale, what we call bulk transfer, sale of businesses, things like that. Okay? When that escrow officer needs a title insurance, they contact a title company. Okay, so they're sort of split. They're separate. Now, in Northern California, it's different. In Northern California, let me see. In Northern California, it says escrow services in Northern California are traditionally performed by title insurance companies. So what that means is that if you're driving down the street and you happen to see in a local shopping center or a small office park, you see something that says Stewart Title, Financial Title, Chicago Title, First American Title, that probably, most likely, that's usually an office that has escrow officers in them. And that's usually where people go to sign all their documents. Normally, the title office, depending upon any more, usually they used to all be located downtown because they were needed to be near the county recorder's office. Okay, So there's almost like a title insurance company row that was downtown all along K Street, uh, it was on K Street and 21st Street. All in that area was clustered, all these title insurance companies. Okay. So anyway, so just so you know, there is a difference between the two of them. Uh, who pays for the escrow fees? Uh, typically, they are usually split 50-50, okay, because the escrow company or the escrow officer is doing services for both the buyer and the seller. Okay. Now, who pays for the title? That can typically be, uh, you know, right here it says who traditionally pays for the title. And notice it says traditionally, okay. Okay. Customarily in Southern California, the seller pays for the California Land Title Association policy, the standard policy. Customarily in Northern California, the buyer pays for the California Land Title Association policy, okay, customarily. In both northern and southern, uh, both north and south, the buyers pay for any coverage above the California Land Title Association policy, which is, just so you know, it's called an Alta or an American Land Title Association policy. is paid for typically by the uh, by the person that is requiring it or getting it, which is usually the borrower. Okay. Um, the next thing that they talk about here is how do escrows work. And they talk about how do you terminate them. We've already talked about how they work, but how do you terminate them? There's basically three ways to terminate an escrow. The first way, like anything else, is where you fulfill and complete the transaction. That's a standard way. You know, the buyer and the seller come to agreement. The money is lent. The doc documents are, tra are uh, recorded. The money is dispersed, and everybody is happy. Okay, done deal, period. That's the normal way. The second way that may happen is something may come up. And, for example, maybe, I'm just saying maybe, maybe the buyer, for whatever reason, cannot qualify for the loan. You know, the escrow's been opened up. 
The buyer honestly and truly thought that they could qualify for the loan. They go, the interest rates go up, they no longer can qualify for the loan. They, you know, according to the contract, they both, you know, you know, the buyer, it's exceeded their interest rate. They can't go any higher. They can't qualify. The seller says, I'm not going to reduce my price to meet the buyer's needs. So they decide that they're going to mutually agree to go ahead and cancel the escrow. Okay. And what they're doing is they're getting instructions from both sides. You know, the seller is agreeing and the buyer is agreeing, and they're both going to agree to to just, okay, it's not going to work, let's cancel the escrow, but it's mutual. The third way is when all of a sudden we have a situation where we can't come to an agreement, and that's called a court action or an interpleader. And what it is, if this is uh, right here, if there is a disagreement between the buyer and the seller during the escrow, the escrow officer may disperse the funds as a result of a judgment between the buyer and the seller. Judgment means a judge has judged, <laughs> okay? If the parties to the escrow agree and if the binding arbitrator settles the matter, okay? And I think I'm trying to find if there's anything in here on the interpleader, but basically it's where you're going to the court and you're asking the court to make a decision because for whatever reason, you can't come to a decision, you know, so you need to have somebody else come in. Uh, they do talk about who selects an escrow company, uh, it typically, what usually happens is this. In, re in the real world, is that most people usually have no idea what an escrow company does. They have no idea what title insurance is. If you go out here and you do the old Jay Leno interview, and you walk up to a group of people on the street and you say, can you tell me what an escrow company does or can you tell me what the title company does? They have no idea. Most buyers and sellers, unless they're in the business or they do it on a fairly regular basis or they've done it recently, have no idea what they do. In fact, in most transactions, even after everything is said and done, if the tra unless the transaction has had some kind of a problem, the people still don't know. All they know is, hey, I got this thing called the title preliminary report. It didn't have any problems on it. I signed off that I read it. And I went down and I sat with this person. They called her an escrow officer. She explained a bunch of stuff to me. I ate a donut. I drank some coffee. I was there a half an hour and I'm done. I have no idea what it is. They had me sign some paperwork. So the problem is, is if you ask the client, who, who would you go to? Who would you like to go to? Because it's always up to the client. Uh, do you have do you have an, uh, an escrow company you'd like to choose or a title company? The client will say, well, what are you talking about? Who do they do or what do they do? Typically then what happens is is that the, the real estate agent will recommend make a couple of recommendations and usually those recommendations are more along the format to say, you know, I use somebody by the name of Pat Hogarty. He works for uh, First American Title. Uh, he, I've worked with him now a number of years. He does really good work. He makes, he shepherded a lot of transactions through for me. Uh, he's very extremely competent. You know, I'm, I'm really blowing my horn here. He's done the work really well. And I would recommend him. Of course, I've worked with a couple other ones. There's another lady over here. Her name is Mary Smith. I've worked on several transactions with her. She's with Chicago Title. Great person. Does a great job. Which one would you like? And then the uh, people will turn around right back to you and say, well, who would you recommend, you know? And then usually the agent will say, well, Pat's, I like Pat. He's closer to my office. Okay, so that's usually how it's done. Uh, the, uh, there are there's strict laws by the insurance commissioner, who's John Garamendi, uh, that there can be no 
kickbacks, no uh, added fees or any kind of an incentive for any real estate agent or broker to bring any business to any co company at all, none. And believe me, they watch that extremely closely. And if it does happen, which once in a while it may happen, those guys get themselves in big trouble right away because they watch those, they watch what's going on like a hawk. Uh, so anyway, there is really no incentive for, except for the fact that you as a real estate agent, if you're the one making the recommendations, that you're recommending a couple people that you think do high quality work. And they're dependable and they're really good at what they do. And that's the reason why you're recommending them. No other reason besides that, okay? Uh, who gets to choose that? Depends. It could be in some, certain counties. It could be customarily the buyer that does it. In other counties, it could be the seller that does it. Okay, um, so we talked about that. Okay. Now, what they're going to do here in this part is they want to walk you through what an escrow set of instructions look like. And this is a very, very simple, basic, bottom-of-the-line set of escrow instructions. This is not complicated. This is simple. Now, before you get ready to do this, what you have to do is understand the case or the facts to start with because what we're going to be talking about at that point is how that money is dispersed. So the first thing is, as they show you on this page, is that, and I always love this because they always use John Buyer and Mary's Buyer or whatever, but anyway, this up here, these are the things that you need to know. You need to know who the buyer and the seller are in order to understand it, because there's going to be a buyer set of instructions and a seller set of instructions. And if for any other reason or lack of anything else, you want to make sure you're showing the client the proper set of instructions when they come in to sign the documents, okay? Very important. You will need to know things like the sales price. In this case, the sales price is $800,000. There's a first trust deed on the property right now. They don't tell you this, but you figure it out later on. That trust deed is $640,000. It's a brand-new trust deed, and if you do the math, that's 80% of the sales price of the home. 80% uh, yes. So if you do 8 times 8 is 64, $640,000 happens to be 80% of the loan. So what, what I know from looking at this is that they're going to put 20% down of some kind, either down or a second deed of trust or something, and they're going to get a brand-new first in the amount of $640,000. That's what I know from looking at that. There's going to be a second trust deed here of $80,000. Now, this is a process that sometimes um, people will do. What they're trying to do is that they've made a decision. They've looked at how much it would cost if they turned around and got a brand-new loan, okay, and how much they would have to pay for, like, private mortgage insurance. And they've decided for whatever reason, They've decided that they're going to turn around and get a second loan that's going to be funding part of the, the down, if you will, that 20%. That's what, this, that's what this case is telling me. Okay? The next thing is, so that's the second trustee. There's going to be a down payment of $80,000. We have no idea where that's coming. We're going to assume that they're probably, you know, either getting it from the sale of a house or something, but they're coming in with $80,000, which is 10% down payment. They're going to have a broker who's JQ Smart is going to have $48,000. That's the gross commission. If you do 6% of 800000 or 6 times 8 is 48, so that's $48,000 in gross commission is going to be paid for, to somebody to sell the house. Now, of course, that's going to be split, but it's going to be $48,000. That's what the seller is going to pay. 
there's going to be some existing liens on the property. They apparently have a first deed of trust in the amount of $290,000 that they owe some money on. We have no idea at this point who that is, but that could be Bank of America, Wells Fargo. It could be anybody, but they, they have an existing $290,000 first deed of trust that's going to get paid off. What that means is that the seller, the money that comes in from the buyer is going to go ahead and pay that loan off, and then the difference between how much the seller owes minus the commission and the cost of the sale and what they sell it for is going to be what they're going to get, their profit or their equity. They have a street assessment bond of $1,300. So apparently what they're going to be doing in this case is that that street assessment bond, and I don't think we've gotten to this point, but you know, one of the ways that we raise money to put stuff around our property, like if we go home and want to put street lights, maybe we want to do something, put sidewalks in, we want to do something, and we go to the county and we say, excuse me, could you put some street lights in? It's not safe where I live. And the county can turn around and say, you know, that would be a great idea, we'd love to do it, but we don't have the money. We don't get enough from property taxes. So what will happen is, is that they can, you can form what they call a district, that then has the ability to raise funds for that improvement, which would be, for example, and what that district would do would be to sell bonds. Who would buy those bonds? People like insurance companies, uh, pension funds, investors or whatever would buy those. They'd sell the bond, they'd get the money, and then that money would then turn around and be used to do whatever the improvements are, like uh, street lights, curbs, gutters, whatever needs to be done. And then each person that lives in the community that benefits by that improvement would pay some form of their proportional payment on that. So in this particular case, they have an, an outstanding bond of $1,300. Now, that could be something that's been paid on for years and years and years, and maybe it's small enough that they decide to pay on it. Uh, but apparently at this point in time, they're going to put it up, which means that they expect that to be paid off when they sell it. Okay, That could also be assumed. Possibly, but you have to look at you know what what the situation is. Uh, that's the street assessment bond. Then there's going to be a California land title policy paid for by the seller, so that's going to come out of the seller's proceeds. So that shows you some basic facts of where it's going to happen. The other thing that's important that you do is know what the closing date is. Uh, all of your prorations that you're going to do, you know, prorations, interest rates, property taxes, are all going to be based on the day that the title transfers. Okay? So whatever the date on the title transfers, that date, anything prior to that, like property taxes, are going to be the seller's responsibility. Anything after that date are the buyer's responsibility. That's why we need to know that date. Very important. Now, the only way that I can explain how you read these escrow instructions is the easiest way is where you make a copy of one of them and you put them next to each other. And you see where money comes into one side and it goes out the other side. Okay? That's the only way you ever see this. Now what happens is when the buyer comes in, they're the ones that sign their set of instructions or their whatever their financial statement is. And all they see is their buyer side. On the other hand, when the sellers come in, they sign theirs. So here's some of the things that we need to be aware of. I want to point out how this how this document is laid out, and of course, you know, things could, there could be a lot more stuff to a transaction, could be a lot more complicated. But this is an accounting for where all the money is going. Up at the top, they're giving you the name of who the escrow company is, and I can tell from this this is Southern California. 
That's why they have a, you know, instead of being a, a, a title company that we would know. This is the buyer's final statement. This is the address of the property. What's important here is they have a closing date of the escrow, which is critical. You need to know what that date happens to be. This escrow number, by the way, that's a number that's assigned internally by the company. So what will happen is, is that it's just like having a list of numbers. And when somebody calls up and has an order, it gets assigned to them. So they have this tracking method to go through, through the system is what it basically boils down to. Um, okay. On this up here is this is what we call debits and credits. Okay, debits and credits. Down here, I want to direct your attention that we have categories. Notice that there's categories. There's something and then there's a line. Then there's something else in a line. So what's happening up here is this is financial. This is going to deal with things like how much is paid for, what cash deposit, you know, the first trust deeds, that, then a line. Okay? The next topic they're going to talk about is prorations. Okay? Once they're finished talking about that topic, they draw a line. Okay? They go to the next topic. They're going to talk about things like title charges and what that's going to cost. You know, escrow fee or, you know, the recording fees, the title insurance policy, they're going to list all that. Then finally, they're going to draw a line like, hey, we're done with that, okay? Then they're going to talk about, um, let me see, they're going to talk about the first new deed of trust, okay? So they're, categor they're categories. It's another way to look at it, it'd be like if you were sitting down with your family. And you said, okay, this is how much money we get coming in. You know, we have my husband's salary, my wife's salary, my retirement. Okay, that's, that's income. Then after that, we have, some, we have some expenses. So let's talk about the housing expenses. We have the rent. We have the uh, utility bills, whatever. Okay, so it's a way of categorizing or grouping things together. That's why it's important. We know where they go. So anyway, let's take a look at this transaction here. First of all, this happens to be the buyers, not the sellers. Buyers. Think of debits and credits. Debits happen to be something that you are giving somebody in this particular case. You know, like I'm giving somebody some money, okay? Credits happen to be that I'm receiving something back, okay? So in a checkbook, debits might be something like the utility bill. Okay, or the lighting bill or the rent. Credits would be like my salary, you know, my, uh, my bonuses, my commissions, things like that money coming in. So anyway, what they're doing here is they're saying total consideration. They're saying, okay, the buyer is going to pay $800,000 for this property. That's what they're paying. Below that, they're going to come in initially with a deposit of $5,000. They're going to come in after that with another $86,000 is what they're coming in with as far as part of their deposit. They have a first trustee that they're going to be getting of $640,000, and they have a second trustee of $80,000. So that's where the money is coming in. That's where it's coming into the escrow. There's going to be some prorations here. There are taxes, taxes at $4,000 for six months from this date to that date, and that, that shows you their proportional interest based on the closing date. Okay, That's how much they're going to pay because the seller has paid some. Okay, So they're going to have to, it's like you're paying the seller back for what the seller's already paid. 
You got to have other disbursements. You have property insurance, okay? So you got to have property insurance that you paid, like fire insurance. That's something you're going to have. The lender's going to say, "Hey, guess what? I'm not going to lend you money unless you get a fire insurance policy." Fire insurance, typically, in a lot of cases, is normally paid one time a year. If you are paying more than once a year, you're usually financing it. You know, the lender, the the, the insurance company is. You know, they'll, they'll, in fact, when you get insurance, sometimes say to them, okay, how much would it cost me if I paid you in one lump sum? I don't care, car insurance, just make any kind what kind of insurance it is. Just say, how much would it be if I paid you in one lump sum? And how much if I, if I, if I make monthly payments? You're going to find out when you add up all those monthly payments for a year, they're more than if you paid it at one time. The difference is the finance charge that you're paying for using their money. So anyway, this, in this case, they're getting $1,000. $1,000 is for like a year's worth of fire insurance. Okay, I'm getting pretty close to the end now, so I'm going to keep going, and then I'll, uh, I'll wind up. Down here is the title insurance. You have a title insurance premium. That premium, by the way, is, usual, is based on a schedule, a published schedule. So you can go down to any title insurance company and say, excuse me, could you please give me your title fee schedule? And they will give it to you. Okay, so that's pretty straightforward. You have a sub-escrow fee. Who knows what that is? You have a recording of a grant deed. Typically, uh, all escrow people have told me, title people, they don't charge any more money. That's the fee that the county charges. So it's not like the county charges 8 and they charge 10. That's the fee the county charges. There's a recording fee for the trust deed of $20 and a title endorsement fee of $50. So that's all title stuff. This is stuff paid out by who? By the buyer. Okay. Below this, we have a few other things. We have escrow fees. We have an escrow fee. We have a messenger fee. And we have a loan tie-in fee. Some of these fees, you need to stop and say to them, what is that fee? I have no idea. Explain that to me. And they'll stop and explain it to you, whatever it is. Finally, down here, you have the new first trustee. Okay, these are loan fees. $6,400 means that they're charging you 1% of the loan amount in points. I can tell by looking at that. You have a credit report. You have an appraisal fee that the buyer is paying for. You have a tax service fee, a disbursement fee, and then you have interest because whenever you got the loan, based on the date that you got it and the date that it's closing, is you're going to have to pay interest for the use of that money during that period of time. Finally, down the bottom of the report, they are going to show you the total for this column and the total for that column, okay? So I think what's important is that we know that we've gotten that far. The next time that we meet, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be finishing up talking about this page and the next page. And the reason why this is important, I can't stress this enough, is that all really good real estate agents, I mean, the ones that are successful, will contact the escrow officer and find out if there's any problems and be there at the close of escrow so that they can help the client or explain things to the client if necessary. Uh, very, very important. So that's why you need as real estate agents to know what these things really are. You need to be schooled in that. Okay? So with that, I want to thank you very much, and we'll see you back here the next time for the next show. Have a nice day.